It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Good afternoon and welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone had a great Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras as we were off here on the final drive. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner taking your phone calls 251-694-1055. And we've got an outstanding final drive lined up for you today. Travis Brown, he covers Texas A&M Athletics. Alabama's sitting on a half-game lead now over the Aggies of Texas A&M. We'll talk with Travis Brown about Texas A&M's big-time win over the Tennessee Volunteers. Chris Gordy, he's the host of Locked On SEC. We'll speak with him along with Ryan Phillips from the Tuscaloosa Patch. We'll also have Ross Dellinger. He's a writer for Sports Illustrated and SI Now. We'll get his thoughts about the changing rules of college football that are going to be upcoming next season and the proposals that have been given. And at 530, we'll have Brandon Silver. He is currently an XFL quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks, but he comes from our neck of the woods at Gulf Shores High School and one of Troy University's most prolific passers in the history of the Trojans football program. So look forward to catching up with him right around 530. A lot of high school hoops and basketball action going on today in 6A boys basketball. McGill Tulin defeated Blunt 65-46 to to punch their final four tickets. So congratulations to Philip Murphy and the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets. And Carla Berry and the McGill Tulin girls, they do the exact same thing, defeating Theodore in overtime 38 38- to 34 there's going to be coach Carla Berry's eighth trip in nine years as the Lady Yellow Jackets head coach Terry Canova at UMS Wright they had a big time win over Jackson 48 to 46 punching their ticket to the final four also in 7A girls action Foley they make a little history today, defeating Daphne 68-46 to winners were the Foley Lady Lions. And in 7A boys basketball, not such great news for the Fairhope Pirates as their season comes to an end as they lose to Central of Phoenix City 53-46. to And as we were at home yesterday getting ready for the Mardi Gras parades that were rolling in downtown Mobile, A lot happened uh, with Alabama basketball, and we're going to talk a lot about that this afternoon and moving forward. And Brandon Miller has not been legally charged with bringing a gun to the scene of a horrific and tragic situation and murder that had occurred on campus 
A 23-year-old mother is dead. And Brandon Miller, we found out yesterday, brought or had the gun that was brought, whether he had knowledge and intent of a murder that was going to be occurring. That's why he has not been charged. And it's just a horrible situation for everyone involved because a life was taken and a mother can no longer be a mother to her son. And, you know, you have a lot of university spokespeople who have had a lot to say about a lot of former players, a lot of current players, but Greg McElroy today on his show called it despicable, embarrassing, and completely unsympathetic, quoting Greg McElroy in regards to head coach Nate Oates' comments that he made yesterday, and I personally feel that it added gasoline to an already tragic situation. But Michael Brauner, I know that if everyone did not get an opportunity to hear about Nate Oates' comments, let's go ahead and play those this afternoon. It was discussed in court this morning that Brandon's car was involved with Darius's situation. Just how comfortable were you with his, his proximity to that? And also, if there's any, any NBA scouts who might be inquiring, what would you say to them about that? Yeah, I mean, we've known the situation since it's been. We've been fully cooperating with law enforcement the entire time. I mean, it's the whole situation's sad. I mean, you just think of it. We team close practice with a prayer for the situation today. Again, knowing that we had this trial today, I mean, you think of Jamia and her family and Kane, really think about her son Kane that was left behind. So it's sad. We did, we knew about that. I mean, you know, you can't control everything anybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble on this case, like Neron spot at the wrong time. So we'll, we'll address it when uh, I'm sure NBA scouts will ask. They do their homework. But, yeah, I, mean, we, I think the article that it came out in also stated Brandon's been interviewed. And he's, he's, you know, they're comfortable with everything that, that happened there. Again, head coach Nate Oates comments yesterday, and he had to go back after he made those comments earlier in the day. And he took such heat from across the country, and it made headlines because, again, Alabama being ranked number two in the country, having possibly and being ranked number one just a couple of weeks ago, he had to go back and, and rephrase what he needed to say, Michael. And I know he did issue a different statement late yesterday evening during the Texas A&M-Tennessee game. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and read that. It wasn't. Uh, we don't have audio of it because it wasn't during a press conference, and we'll we'll get into our thoughts on the whole thing. But we kind of want to just give you guys the facts as to what exactly came out yesterday and you know, Nato's reaction to it and and all that. But uh, the second statement that came out later last night after the reaction on Twitter uh, and everywhere else to the initial statement was probably justifiably so. Uh, very heated uh the second statement that came out was quote i thought it was important for me to clarify the unfortunate remarks i made earlier 
this entire time I've tried to be thoughtful in my words relative to this tragic incident, and my statements came across poorly. We were informed by law enforcement of other student-athletes being in the vicinity, and law enforcement has repeatedly told us that no other student-athletes were suspects. They were witnesses only. Our understanding is that they have all been fully truthful and cooperative. In no way did I intend to downplay the seriousness of this situation or the tragedy of that night. My prayers continue to go out to Jamea Harris's family. I think that what Nate Oates is taking heat for is when he says we knew about it and because they knew about it, it if that's the case, if Nate Oates knew exactly what was asked and he's, of course, privy to information that, that we can only speculate on at the time as to who was interviewed and what they were asked and when they were asked, at the same time, you, you just you have to have a, a statement in which you, you don't – he did show remorse. So I will say that. He did show remorse yesterday because he did mention the fact that Jamia Harris is dead and that's a mother who was lost. And the fact that when you said you, you can't control everything everybody does outside of practice, that is a true statement. Okay, I, I, I don't have any qualms about that. But at the same time – you know, it says college kids are out. You know, that old saying that many parents say nothing good happens after midnight. It's one of those situations where and Coach Oates said wrong spot at the wrong time, being quoted by that. And I think that that's where the firestorm and the controversy has come in with Coach Oates, and that's where he's taking a lot of heat. And, again, Alabama – is going to play South Carolina tonight at 8 o'clock p.m. And that game is one of those to where Alabama has already been hit with distractions by one of their teammates with Darius Miles being accused of murder already. That's a distraction in and of itself. And now here's the second distraction as you continue to progress as a basketball team. And I just think that Nate Oates, he should have known better. And as the head coach, he's got to do better. And it's one of those to where once the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. And because you can't put that toothpaste back in, not necessarily that Nate Oates, I just think that he, he spoke in regards to the situation when he said he knew about it. You just say, I'm going to let, I'm not going to speak any further on this incident, regardless of how many players were involved on his basketball team or how many other witnesses there were. As the head coach, I think that you've seen Nick Saban not have to deal with murder situations and where a life was lost. There's been other misdemeanors that have occurred within other programs to where coaches make a blanket statement, we are going to deal with it internally, or whether a player has been kicked off the team for whatever type of discretions they've had. But at the same time, I just think as the head coach of the University of Alabama, in this situation to where a murder occurred, a life was lost, senseless violence, senseless, you have to, to make the statement in regards to either 
I'm not going to comment on the situation any further because we've already gone through that. Or as details continue to evolve, I will let the authorities deal with that. That way you're not adding gasoline to an already stoked fire. Yeah, so here's the thing. With regards to the information that came out in court yesterday, uh, and NATO had said it in his initial misstep of a statement, uh, they have known this information regarding Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley since it happened, so about five weeks. January ago. 15th. January 15th. And so... You, and, and they knew this hearing was coming up. Uh, you know, we, we've had sources to—I'm not going to go name names, but we've had people tell us that allude to the possibility that information like this could come out. It, it didn't take all that much digging to find out. This information was out there if, if you searched hard enough for it. It, it wasn't uh, new evidence coming to light or anything like that. All this to say, my point being, they've known this information for five weeks— and for Nate Oates to come out and, and say, wrong place, wrong time, it, it, it's just the carelessness that, that, that goes into that statement. I mean, the University of Alabama is a corporation, effectively. It's all, all, all these big athletic programs are. And, and for your statement to be that poor and that thoughtless, when you had five weeks with this information and you knew this information was going to come out at this court hearing and you had to know it was going to be a big story because guess what? Brandon Miller is the best college basketball player in America right now and Alabama is the best college basketball team in America right now. And you had to know this information was going to come out. And to be get on the podium and sound that inept and that out of touch. And, and, and I, I will say to Nate Oates' credit, they don't, there's no there's no lesson on handling a situation like this in in coaching school. I I understand that, and he's in an impossible situation here. And, and was he thrown to the wolves a little bit yesterday with with the information that came out and how quickly that that fire spread on Twitter and wherever else? Sure, but for Greg Byrne and whoever else is making these decisions. Not to have some sort of prepared statement, or be just be more prepared. I mean, this is a. I think it was Joe Gaither on Tide 100.9, who we're actually going to have on the show tomorrow, hopefully, uh, said earlier. I mean, allegedly, you got the best PR program in the country down at Reese Pfeiffer Hall, two blocks away from Coleman Coliseum, and, and this is how you handle it, PR-wise, with one with your best player. It's just the and we'll get into the Brandon Miller stuff, that that side of it later on. But just the way this was handled from Nate Oates yesterday was so disappointing. And and I understand he came out with a second statement. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055. And we had someone in the app say, did Miller drive to deliver the gun, or were they all hanging out on the strip adjacent to Miller's car? Miles asked for Miller to unlock the car and let him have his gun, uh, which was Miles' legal property. Yes, Darius Miles was the owner of the gun. And, again, 
if you're what are you going to charge Brandon Miller with? Um, you, you you know stupidity is not not a situation where you can you can charge him in a court of law with with that. Um, you know I think that everyone involved is paying a price, and that biggest price was Jamia Harris's death. And again, inexcusable were NATO's comments. Murder, inexcusable. Getting angry, regardless of why. You you have to, as a friend, you, you have to try to make better or help your friends make better choices. And I think that that's what's in question right here is as, as a teammate and as a friend, when when you know there's escalation that that is taking place, and as athletes, you're naturally going to have a target on your back at all times, whether you're successful or not. It doesn't matter what sport you play. You're still going to have a target on your back by those who want to test you or try you. And because people want to do that as a friend, sometimes – you you have to de-escalate the situation instead of adding fuel to the fire. Absolutely. I make no mistake here, uh while legally he didn't do anything wrong, there's no getting around the fact that Brandon Miller made a poor decision. Uh you'd be kind of ridiculous to try to argue anything else. Uh, so but the like I said alluded to at the end of the last segment, the people arguing loudest for Miller's removal of the team, it's pretty obvious where their intentions lie. Uh, and it's just, and that's just what sports does, and that's it's an unfortunate reality because would Alabama fans feel the same way if it was last year in Jabari Smith, for example, and, would, and, and the exact reverse of how Auburn fans are acting now? Um, probably. So, sports are uh, sports have a weird way of uh, making you making you change your opinion on things like that. But they do, and, and I think that it's laid the the blueprint though for for sports or athletic programs across the country now, in regards to de-escalating situations or where when you have a firearm involved, that's definitely not the route to go. Because no. again, back in the day. You, you had haymakers that were going to be flying, and that's the worst case. You were just going to have a flat-out brawl, a flat-out beatdown, and it was going to be over with, and you were either going to take that whooping or you were going to receive that whooping or give it, one of the two. And when you got your homeboys with you, again, that target, whether you didn't want to be showed up or, or whatever the situation was, you still have to have somebody that that takes care of you to de-escalate the situation and not let it lead to gun violence because that's not the answer. And, again, a mother is no longer with us. A son has to not have a mother to, to be with him. And I just think that, you have to make better choices in regards to now we've had Brandon Miller not make the wisest choice. Okay? 
as a friend, didn't make the wisest choice. As a student athlete, what, 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 at what point in time do you say, nah, bro, I, I, I cannot let you, I'm not, I'm not going to bring you heat, which is a gun that's loaded, whether I know it or not, because I don't know what your intent is. I know you're not going to the shooting range at 1.15 in the morning. I know that. And I know Brandon Miller had to know that. Does it take away the fact that he is the best basketball player in college basketball this year? No, it doesn't. Do I think and one that has it, nothing to do with the other? It, it, it absolutely does not. It does not. Because, you, you know, the decisions is, I think, what's at stake right here. And, again, Darius Miles being the former University of Alabama basketball player that has been charged with murder along with his friend Michael Davis, them going to retrieve that firearm, it, it, it again, makes no sense. And, and why, Michael Bronner? I think that as the trial unfolds and, and you have to ask yourself, why is a young lady dead? Why? Because y- you wanted to man up? What, what were you showing? And, and that's the, the problem that I have uh, with this whole situation, that a young lady is tragically gunned down and another victim of gun violence. And it just so happens that athletes – a former five-star athlete at that, a McDonald's All-American, was involved and now has set the blueprint for everything moving forward. You're listening to The Final Drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner here on WNSP 105.5. Have a lot of people chiming in on the app. We'd love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. But coming up next, we'll talk with Travis Brown about the half game that they're trying to make up against the Alabama Crimson Tide, who take on South Carolina tonight. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner taking your phone calls, 251-694-1055. And while we've been talking a lot about the Alabama Crimson Tide and the basketball that is in front of them, again, Alabama takes on South Carolina tonight at 8 o'clock p.m. And they have a half-game lead on the Texas A&M Aggies, and that's because the Aggies at 21-7 and had a huge win over the Tennessee Volunteers, 68-63, to and Alabama was not able to defeat Tennessee, but A&M was able to find a way to get it done, and Wade Taylor IV really was the general and the floor leader for the Aggies last night and Travis Brown he covers 
Texas A&M Athletics for the Eagle. And we want to welcome Travis in to the final drive. How are you doing this afternoon, sir? Hey, can't complain. Uh, it's like 87 degrees here and just wish I was on the golf course. And I tell you, it's a little bit warm here as well. And you're talking about absolutely having an immaculate game last night in front of a record crowd. The A&M Aggies popped into the top 25, overall 21-7, and seven, but talk about the crowd and the excitement last night and Buzz Williams getting things done, trying to win an SEC regular season crown here with three games remaining. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, Buzz Williams said after the game last night that in his tenure here at A&M, it's the, the, the loudest, uh, best atmosphere that he's uh, been a part of in Reed Arena. You know, I, I don't think many A&M fans would necessarily argue too hard about the fact that historically A&M has been a, is and has been a football and baseball school as their uh, kind of top two favorite sports. And basketball, if they're winning, they, they, they'll they show up. And as uh, the Aggies and Buzz Williams has proven through conference play, uh, they, they are winning, and it's, it's showing up. I think when Buzz first got here in 2019, the question was posed to him about the crowds because, you know, attendance was, was really bad at the time. And uh, Buzz Williams quoted one of the old Marquette coaches saying, you know, if, if, uh, if the corners of the arenas are filled, you're doing something right. And we kind of asked him about that again, and he said, you know, the ticket isn't, it isn't to where it's the hardest ticket in town to find, but – we're on the, the, the path to, to, to the doing what's right. So I, I think that if you play good basketball in Aggieland, people will come and they're playing pretty good basketball. Well, not only are they playing good basketball, I mean, they're just finding a way to lock people up defensively. And I think that that's one of the keys for this Texas A&M program is, you know, when you have Buzz Williams, he's a defensive type of guy. And you had, to me, two defensive gurus that were kind of at one another last night. And I don't know what the over-under was, but to me it was almost like last night the first team to 60 would probably be the team that would win the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it had the billing for, like, a really, really good rock fight uh, coming into the game because Tennessee, of course, by any analytical website you want to look at, has uh, is, is the best defense in the country. Uh, A&M, basically everything turned around for them right at Christmas or, if you want to argue, right at um, the beginning of the new year. And uh, if, if you look at just... January 1 to now on some of these analytical sites, A&M is the second best team in the country with the, the ninth best adjusted defensive uh, efficiency numbers in, in the country. So uh, there was going to be a lot of really good defense played. And, and ultimately, when you kind of look at how the game played out at the end, it was Wade Taylor stealing the ball on what was it was a double double turnover. A&M turned the ball over on an inbounds with 24 seconds left and up by uh, 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 two points. And Wade Taylor comes in and steals the the, the initial steal to and gets fouled. And that's kind of what ultimately put the game away uh, for the Aggies. So um, yeah, defense was going to reign supreme in that game for sure. Henry Coleman the third has also been a difference maker for the Aggies this season and when you start looking at him almost playing 30 minutes a game I think that this young man 
it has really made a difference from the rebounding standpoint. And that's one of the places that I know that head coach Buzz Williams really wants the A&M Aggies to limit you to one shot and done and to continue to crash the offensive glass. Yeah, uh, Henry Coleman is one of those guys. I think when you look at this team this year, compared to any other team that Buzz has had since he's been at A&M, and then especially last year's team that, of course, was able to go to the NIT Finals uh, there in New York, this is a team that has depth, not necessarily in the sense of uh, multiple guys on the bench who can come in. While they do have that, but I think the key point is they have multiple guys who can be the high-point scorer every night. They have multiple guys who can be the high-rebound guy every night. They have a couple of different guys who can be the lockdown defender. And so uh, when you look at last night, Henry Coleman, not necessarily a great game. Uh, when you look at Dexter Dennis, good defensively, good rebounding, didn't provide an offensive spark. Tyrese Radford, who's probably on paper the best player that A&M has, never really got into the rhythm of the game. But Wade Taylor continues to be on the tear that he's been on this month, uh, scoring at high numbers. Julius Marble had his most physical game down low. I mean, it just seemed like every other play he needed someone to pull him up off the floor. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I don't ever want to be in charge of pulling Julius Marble up on the floor because I think I'd be down on the floor with him <laughs> before I'd be able to get him back up off the court. He's a, he's a big dude. Um, but – there's a multiple guys who can score. There's multiple guys who can get, and that's been kind of the hallmark of what's made A&M successful through conference play. We're talking with Travis Brown, who covers the Texas A&M Aggies on the Eagle. And when you start talking about a 68 to 63 win over the number 11th ranked Tennessee volunteers, both teams last night, Tennessee came in at 20 and 7. A&M came in at 20 and 7. But one team was ranked 25th in the nation and the other one was ranked 11th, having lost 3 out of their last 4 and really a great win over Alabama at home. But why do you think that is that A&M not really getting any respect? They didn't have a good non-conference uh, run leading into conference. They had two quad four losses, once again, one against Murray State at the Myrtle Beach Classic and a really bad one at home against Wofford. I think, I think everyone is wanting to continue to punish A&M for that uh, quad four loss at home to Wofford right before the Christmas break. Um, I, I think that that's why they're not going to probably get the seeding that they want to get in the NCAA. They, they probably could have gotten in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and that's why that it's taken some time for them to crack into uh, the top 25 because, I mean, losing to a, a 250 range net team at home late in conference play, uh, it's hard to – it takes a lot of work to, to recover from that. But I think if you look at hindsight's 2020, they, they kind of needed that because that was the loss that really kind of put everything into gear. They changed the way they – ran their practice schedule. They changed the way they prepared for games over that Christmas break. And it's made all the difference because that's exactly when they started this run uh, through the last two games of non-conference play and into a conference that put them in contention for an SEC title. Talking about an SEC title being half a game behind the Alabama Crimson Tide now. And when you look at what Texas A&M has remaining this Saturday, Texas A&M goes to Mississippi State and then they'll be playing Ole Miss. And then, of course, they end with the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think that that's going to be huge as well in regards to 
it's really may come down if Alabama doesn't find a way to fall flat on its face after these last couple of days and are able to stay focused, depending on what they do against Auburn going into the A&M game, it could be an even bigger and louder crowd that was last night. Yeah, hey, how much fun would it be if the SEC uh, title came down to the last week uh, at a game between Alabama and A&M? I mean, you got to think college game day would be there, and uh, like you said, it would be a, a really hyped crowd, uh, would be a lot of fun. you, you got to think that in, to, some, to some extent, the, the, the college basketball neutral would be rooting for that. I, I think when you look at the schedules, um, Alabama has a little bit of a tougher go of it than A&M. I mean, uh, Mississippi State has, is, is, a, is a formidable team, but they've had their struggles uh, a little bit as of late. A&M goes there. They go to Ole Miss, which should be a win uh, for A&M, and then it's the Alabama game. South Carolina, of course, should be a win for uh, Alabama. But then you have Arkansas and Auburn, two teams that Alabama took care of pretty well earlier in the season. But um, overall, two tougher teams. I would imagine both teams are going to head into that final game without having taken another loss. But I think if you were to look at a team that might could uh, have a tougher chance of or easier chance of, of getting a loss, it might be Alabama, though I still think Alabama is the most talented team on paper in the SEC. So, man, it, it, it's fun when it comes down to the very end like this, isn't it? It's outstanding. It doesn't get any better. And I'll tell you, when you start looking, a good friend of mine, Joni Taylor is the women's basketball coach at Texas A&M, and she's taken over. She came from Georgia, and Texas A&M really struggling this year from a women's standpoint. But I think that as the season and as recruiting continues to unfold next year, I think Joni is going to be in a perfect situation. Right now, the Lady Aggies only 1-13 in conference play, 6-18 overall. But I think she is the right person for that job. And Gary Blair has great things to say about her. And Gary Blair, of course, is a a Hall of Famer. But the Lady Aggies are going to get things back on track as well. Yeah, they've had a lot of injuries this year. And I have a lot of respect for Jenny Taylor because who wants to be the guy after the guy, right? Like Gary Blair is maybe one of the most beloved people in, uh, in Bryan College Station. He's out everywhere. He's shaking hands he's kissing babies he uh, everybody loves gary blair and uh that resulted in some good crowds and some good followings with the a&m basketball team and uh it's a lot of respect to the person who's going to come in and and follow that and they've had a lot of injuries this year you know they still need to kind of build up their recruiting and build up their program and yeah i think it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how things move forward there but Already a lot of respect for taking over uh, a program that uh, was down a little bit when when she came in because of just Gary being kind of at the end of the career. Uh, but but I think there's a lot of pieces there and a lot of uh, uh, momentum that can be gained heading into next year. Well, Travis, I don't know if you knew this or not, but one of Joni Taylor's assistant coaches is from right here in Mobile, Alabama, Robert Mosley on her staff followed her over from Georgia. So there's definitely Mobile, Alabama ties within that Lady Aggies roster. But switching back over to the men, I think that, like you said, everybody wants to see Alabama and Texas A&M for all the marbles. If Alabama continues to take care of their business, we'll see if they're able to fight through the distractions that are going on internally there. But 
you do an outstanding job covering Texas A&M athletics. How can people follow you if they want to catch up on Texas A&M basketball and what Buzz Williams has going on? And also, Jimbo Fisher, always a great cover here locally. Sure thing. It's uh, theeagle.com for uh, all the stories. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Uh, lots of good content from, I am mostly cover uh, football, men's basketball, baseball. So uh, if you want to find all that and more, go to theeagle.com. Well, we look forward to your continued coverage and catching up with you as we have this February frenzy and March Madness is upon us. We'll catch up with you a little later to see if the Aggies are able to surpass the Crimson Tide in the men's basketball standings. You got it anytime. Travis Brown, reporter for the Eagle, covering Texas A&M Athletics, joining us on the final drive this afternoon. Brandon Miller's attorney just came out with a breaking statement. We'll talk about that next in our last segment here of the first hour of the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Broner. Hi, this is Bo Mattingly, co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. And you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner behind the glass, taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055 is how you can get in. And, of course, you can always chime in on the WNSP app. And the app has been jumping this afternoon in regards to everything that's been going on with the Alabama Crimson Tide and Brandon Miller and the allegations that have not necessarily been made, but the the questioning as to whether he should be charged or not and whether he knew. And I know, Mike, that just moments ago, Brandon Miller's attorney did issue a statement on this situation. And I know later on around 430, we'll talk with Ryan Phillips of the Tuscaloosa patch as well. Yeah, so this was actually tweeted by Ryan Phillips, ironically. Uh, she said, just received this email from Brandon Miller's attorney clarifying his presence related to the January 5th shooting death of Jamea Harris. Uh, Ryan Phillips, again, we will have him on the show at 4.30. But uh, we're running out of time in the segment, but I will read the statement uh, as fast as I can here, and we'll discuss it a little bit later on. Uh, but as one of the attorneys for Brandon Miller, I want to provide additional facts on Brandon's behalf in response to, mi to misstatements in reporting yesterday regarding Brandon. Brandon and his family are horrified and saddened by the events that led to the senseless death of Miss Harris and continue to offer their most sincere thoughts and prayers for her family. On January 14th, Brandon played in a basketball game in the afternoon and was later asked by Darius Miles for a ride to the strip area to go to a nightclub. Mr. Miles brought his legal handgun and left it in the backseat of Brandon's vehicle. Brandon never saw the handgun nor handled it. Further, it is our understanding that the weapon was concealed under some clothing in the backseat of his car, his car being Brandon's. Brandon didn't go inside the nightclub. Instead, he left and went to a restaurant to eat. At, around, at approximately midnight, Brandon began texting. Brandon began asking... Mr. Miles began asking Brandon to come pick him up so that they could leave and go to another location or join friends. Brandon advised that he would be along later, and approximately one hour later, Brandon began to leave the restaurant to pick up Mr. Miles, but 
first had to give another companion a ride home. Before Brandon arrived to pick up Mr. Miles, Mr. Miles and the individual with Miss Harris apparently exchanged words. Without Brandon knowing any of this context, and as Brandon was already on the way to pick up Mr. Miles, Mr. Miles texted Brandon and asked him to bring him his firearm. Brandon subsequently arrived at the scene to pick up Mr. Miles. Brandon never got out of his vehicle and interacted with anyone in Miss Harris's party. We'll, we'll read the rest of that later. There's that statement by Brandon Miller's attorney and again, the 430 hour we'll get in depth with exactly what was said and the knowing or the knowledge that everyone has right now of the situation is totally different than January 15th. You're listening to the final drive here with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner on WNSP. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on this Ash Wednesday. We hope everyone had a very wonderful Mardi Gras as it was beautiful weather here in the port city on the home of Mardi Gras. And hope you caught all the mean moon pies, beads and bears. And we want to hear from you. What was the weirdest thing that you saw thrown or caught during the Mardi Gras parades, 251-694-1055 is how you can give Michael Bronner a call on that. Or you can hit us up in the app to let us know what is the weirdest thing that you saw thrown off of a float or that you've ever caught from a Mardi Gras. And not quite sure if our next guest has had an opportunity to experience Mardi Gras, whether it's in New Orleans or here in Mobile, Alabama. Chris Gordy. He's the host of Locked On SEC and, again, is the co-host of In the Trenches. And want to welcome you, Chris, to the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Yeah, good to be with you guys. And yeah, I'm a New Orleans native, so we grew up riding in parades. And I, I think that you know, it's a good question. What's the, the weirdest thing you ever caught? I mean, the weirdest thing to me was always food. Like, I remember catching... Uh, a full sandwich one year from a float, wondering where it came from. But the even weirder thing is what you see when you're riding in the parade. I mean, I think I saw uh, just about every body part uh, known to man riding when I was uh, a young kid riding in the parades in New Orleans. So, yeah, good question to pose out there. 
great things going on in the Southeastern Conference because, of course, their slogan, it just means more, is their slogan. And here in men's basketball, we have a phenomenal race with Alabama, the Crimson Tide only being a half game up on the Texas A&M Aggies with them still yet to be playing one another on the season finale. But when you start looking at top to bottom of the Southeastern Conference, how many teams do you think the SEC will get into March Madness? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think early on my read was, you know, not many. Uh, I thought it was only going to be a couple. And um, certainly the way Texas A&M has played these last four weeks, they've played phenomenally. They, they've worked their way in uh, where I thought maybe at the start of the year they probably weren't in. Kentucky still kind of a team on the bubble. I think they need to finish strong here and maybe win a couple games in the, in the SEC tournament. But it feels like they're going to be in. We know Bama's in. We know Tennessee's in. Um, Auburn, I feel like this one tonight is a must-win for them. I think they have to kind of rebound here and, and run off a couple of wins. Um, and then, you know, a little bit of a bubble with, uh, you know, with, with Missouri. Uh, their, their non-conference was, uh, was pretty okay, and they're sitting there at 20 wins right now. But, you know, just 8-7 and seven in the conference. So can they win a couple more and then – you know, maybe make a nice run in the SEC tournament to impress the committee. We'll see. I mean, I would say probably, you know, five is probably a safe number right now. But, you know, certainly with, with um, you know, a little extra work, I think the SEC could get six teams in. Yeah, I think that depending on what happens here within the next couple of games, you do have a couple of bubble teams. I really don't think that, me personally, I don't think that Auburn is a, bu a bubble team just because I feel that they'll get to those 20 wins. I know that they have a big game tonight at Neville Arena taking on Ole Miss. Ole Miss 10-17, and 17, but you look at the way that Auburn was able to dismantle Missouri the last time that a team with the uh, a little above 500 record came into Neville Arena, what they were able to do to them. I, I just I feel comfortable with its remaining schedule that Auburn will be in good shape. Yeah, I, I just I, I look, I mean, this one tonight against Ole Miss, yeah, it's a game they should win, but road games at Kentucky and at and now Alabama and then finishing at home with Tennessee, they could certainly finish on a three-game losing streak. And we're talking about a team that is sitting here right now having lost six of their, of their last eight. And, you know, if, if that's how Auburn's going to finish, I think the committee could certainly look at it as a team that fell flat on their face to wind down the season and could, come, and could take them out. So, again, I, I'm with you. I think, I think Auburn overall at 18-9 and nine is, is done enough. But, you know, it's all about how you look at the end of the season. And if they fall flat on their face, lose the last three, and, you know, we're one and done in the SEC tournament, I, I think Auburn's out. Tonight, you have the Vanderbilt Commodores at 15 and 12. The resurgent Vanderbilt Commodores taking on LSU. Opposite records of each other, 15 and 12. Vanderbilt, LSU at 12 and 15. And, of course, we just talked about Kentucky. I think that they're always here poised to make a postseason push. And Alabama at South Carolina. Let's talk about your thoughts about the distractions surrounding the Alabama Crimson Tide. For the last couple of 24 hours or so, it's really been the talk of the country. And will this be a distraction for the Alabama Crimson Tide tonight against a South Carolina team that's only won two games? 
Yeah, I think I think it will be, and you know, I, I don't think they'll struggle to win the game. Don't get me wrong there, but in terms of distractions, like you know, who the one group in in this country that is, I mean, when you have some kind of controversial thing happen that they're going to bring attention to it, it's student sections, particularly in basketball. If you don't think that that student section tonight at South Carolina is going to show up with signs saying, you know, hey, do you have a gun, or you know chance of murder. I mean, like, don't put it past student sections to not be PC and, and, and push the limit here. And this is certainly a story that, uh, man, I mean, on the surface of it, you know, your best star player, the, the best uh, draft-eligible college player in all of college basketball right now, Brandon Miller, you know, is grabbing headlines saying he provided the murder weapon to, uh, to one of his teammates. Uh, it's, it's absolutely uh, shocking. It's appalling. And Again, you know, we can get to the argument of, oh, well, he was just giving his teammate back his gun. He didn't know he was going to go kill somebody. That's great. But, again, the fact is the fact. And I get it. Like, we're just finding out about this, the public. Uh, Alabama's known about this for, for some time. It just feels like, man, at least in January when this incident first happened, NATO should have taken a step back and said, all right, who all was involved with this? Did any of the teammates know about it? Were you innocent bystanders? What was going on? And at least finding out that nugget of information, I feel like they should have said, hey, look, let's just sit Brandon out tonight's game and just kind of like till we sort things out and figure things out. They didn't do that because, one, Alabama was the top five team, steamrolling through the SEC. Uh, Brandon Miller sitting there at the top of people's draft boards. And so, you know, I think they kind of looked at it and said, oh, well, you know, we'll just keep rolling. And now in hindsight, I think they wish they would have maybe suspended him a game or two and maybe just kind of used – uh, use that as a teaching moment to, hey, man, don't get involved with that kind of stuff. Instead, they're sitting here with egg on their face with a couple of games left on the season, and that all the national headlines, at least national talking heads, are screaming for a Brandon Miller suspension now, a Nate Oates suspension, and so on and so forth. And, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's, it's not where you want to be with the season winding down. You head into the tournament as, as a one seed. Yeah, you put up pretty well there, Chris. Yesterday on Twitter and every, every other social media was one of the crazier days. I can recall news-wise, and everyone had their opinions on the matter, and, you know, <laughs> calls for Nate Oates to be fired over, over this whole thing. I mean, can you remember a, a day that crazy online? Not sure. We lost Chris and his connection there. And, Mike, you were talking about how crazy it of a situation the last 24 hours have been for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I, I just feel, again, that Nate Oates, with, with the knowledge that he had, all he had to do was continue not to make a comment. And continuing not to make a comment, I think, would have sufficed or – just saying, again, either no comment, I'm going to let the officials handle everything. I, I think that that would have been fine. Uh, but, you know, Chris Gordy, again, one of the talking heads for the SEC Locked On SEC host, just lets us know that, again, it's not just a local headline. It's a national headline. It's just not a Tuscaloosa, Alabama headline. It's a situation to where you have the athletic director who has chimed in about what's going on as well as many other people. And I know we have Chris Gordy back on the line with us. Chris, you were talking about Nate Oates and his knowledge and moving forward. 
Yeah, and, and again, we'll we'll see what happens here. Um, I, I just, you know, you, you know the, you know when you fumbled something when you put out a public statement, and then later that day you have to issue a clarification of that public statement. You know that you messed up and didn't do the right thing in the first place, and so. I think that's kind of where Alabama sits. But look, man, I mean, it's four games left. You're going to go to the SEC tournament. You're going to go to the NCAA tournament, uh, looking like it's a one seed. So, um, you know, this might be something maybe you deal with in the offseason because, you know, Brandon Miller seems like he's going to be a one and done heading off to the NBA. But, you know, does this affect his draft stock? We don't know. I mean, he's projected number three right now at NBADraft.net. Like, you don't know if this is going to hurt his draft stock. That's not like he pulled the trigger, but – Having involvement in something like this, it's just it's something that scares some people away. And it's unfortunate for such a tremendous talent. The kid's been nothing but everything you want in a player on the court. It's just an unfortunate situation for everybody around Alabama basketball. I agree with you there, Chris. And we'll switch gears from basketball, of course, as we uh, uh, approach this February frenzy and go into March Madness and approach the, all the conference tournaments. That means that baseball has officially started, and a lot of teams got started on Friday and played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And seven out of the top ten teams in the preseason poll all came from the Southeastern Conference and sitting the top of it was the number one ranked LSU Tigers and they they had a very good weekend also yeah it's uh it, it's been a fun first week of, of SEC uh, baseball LSU looked like the dominant team uh you know taking care of their business uh, they, they beat Southern yesterday in a midweek game 18 to 4 and their first base when Trey Morgan hit for the cycle in that game uh, Paul Skeens, their transfer pitcher, was, was SEC pitcher of the week. So um, they're looking like they're off and running. Tennessee was kind of a surprise. They lost to Arizona and Grand Canyon State after being preseason number two. They, they slipped down to number three in a couple of polls. But um, outside of that, I think it's really the back end of the, of the SEC. I thought Auburn had a nice start, you know, taking two out of three against Indiana. Um, you know, I think that's what, what we're going to find out about the SEC as the year gets going. Like, the, the, the top teams are going to be very good, as expected. But what about some of those middle-to-the-bottom-tier teams? You know, does, does Auburn sneak up and, and bite some people this year? And, um, you know, same thing with Alabama. Do they kind of achieve, uh, you know, a little bit higher than maybe people are expecting? And that's what makes the SEC so fun is, uh, you know, that you can go get beat on any, any given day in baseball. So, it's going to be a fun season. The conference is loaded with talent, man. I can't wait until we get into SEC play. We're speaking with Chris Gordy, host of Locked On, the SEC, and Locked On Network. And, Chris, again, with baseball being here collegiately, of course, that means Major League Baseball and spring training is upon us. The Houston Astros coming off of making history for Dusty Baker. Can the Astros repeat? in Major League Baseball, or who's going to give them a run for the money this year? Yeah, they're, they're one of the favorites. Um, I'm actually down here in West Palm Beach, who's uh, been at their uh, spring training the past couple of days, and they got some bad news as one of their uh, starting pitchers, Lance McCullers, who's not going to be ready for the start of the season. So they have to kind of look around their roster and find, all right, who's the next man up, and kind of go from there. But... Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's the Astros right up there. A lot of people, the money's coming in on the Yankees. And, of course, the Dodgers, I think, will have a say. And uh, I think the Braves are going to bounce back this year and, and make a deep run again. So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love this time of year because, you know, everybody's optimistic. The big story around every spring training camp is 
hey, this guy looks in the best shape of his life. And it's just funny because it's a story every year we hear around uh, around all the camps. But uh, no doubt. I mean, the Astros are in a good spot. They're still loaded with all their young talent. They lose Justin Berlander in free agency to the Mets. But still got their core intact when you talk about Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker and all these great hitters that they have. So going to be a lot of fun, and yeah, the first spring training game is this Saturday, so it's, uh, it's going to be here before we know it. Chris Gordy joining us here on the final drive, and always football 24-7 here in Mobile, Alabama, no matter what, and of course, when Nick Saban has a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, and Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner, taking your phone calls at 251-694-1055. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on the final drive. You can always interact with us on the app as well. The first hour and a half, it's been hot and heavy pretty much on the Alabama Crimson Tide Nate Oates situation along with Brandon Miller. And we'll continue to talk about that at 4.30 with Ryan Phillips from the Tuscaloosa Patch. But wanted to give you guys an update on how everything was going today. And 6A boys, McGill Tulin defeated Blunt 65-46. to The McGill Tulin girls defeated Theodore in overtime 38-34. to In 7A girls, Foley defeated Daphne 68-46. to And in 7A boys, Central of Phoenix City defeated Fairhope 53-46. to Congratulations to Solomon Johnson and the outstanding job that he did for the Fairhope Pirates. And congratulations to Philip Murphy along with Carla Berry. Also, UMS Wright girls win 48-46 to over Jackson. So that's your high school basketball update. And I think we have a caller on the line here, Michael. Yeah, we'll go to TK quick before we go to break. TK, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Outstanding. All right, all right. Um, yeah, man, I think, I don't know, uh, with this, with this, not, not, not disciplined the kids, man. It kind of like messes them up because uh, if they get away with stuff like that, and then you know they just keep repeating it, and that's that's really not good. They need to uh, they need to have some kind of discipline on that kind of stuff, and that's all I wanted to share on that. Thank you, bro. Thank you for listening, TK, and calling in as well. It's one of those situations to where with everything there are consequences, and the the level of discipline. It really differs on several different levels in regards to murder. You're going to jail, and that's you know that's about as harsh as you can get. Like I said, I kind of compared it to Nick Saban's situation to where he's had off-the-field issues, and you very rarely he'll say, I handled it internally, and we're moving forward, and you're not going to get a follow-up question on that. And Nate Oates probably should have taken the Nick Saban approach in that regards to where it's being handled internally. If you see Brandon Miller on the floor, then you know he's ready to play. If you don't see Brandon Miller on the floor, then you know that either he's injured or something in some type of other form and fashion, there's been some type of other discipline. 
We want to thank everybody for tuning in to the final drive here on WNSP. And coming up next, we'll dig in with Ryan Phillips, who has late breaking news again from Brandon Miller's attorney about the January 15th shooting and exactly what Brandon Miller knew and did not know. Ryan Phillips coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive with Corey Lebowney and Michael Brauner. Brauner behind the glass, getting our show lined up for us and all our guests. And one of our guests this afternoon on the final drive is none other than Ryan Phillips, who is the founder and field editor at the Tuscaloosa Patch. And there's been a lot of news coming out of Tuscaloosa within the last 24 hours. And one of those most recent statements has been issued by the athletic director, Greg Byrne. And Greg Byrne says that Brandon Miller will indeed dress out and suit up and play for the number two ranked Alabama Crimson Tide as they take on South Carolina tonight. Ryan Phillips, any surprise there that Brandon Miller will be playing? Uh, hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's really, really not uh, given what we've known for the last few weeks. Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation as to why he wasn't charged, uh, you know, and in everything that we know in this case, you know, especially after, you know, the preliminary hearing yesterday that lasted almost three hours, you know, it's important to know that it's like better for the prosecution to have, you know, again, Brandon Miller, Jaden Bradley, you know, as, as witnesses, you know, given the other evidence that they know, uh, instead of charging them, you know, with something that could eventually be dismissed, like an accessory, something like that, uh, you know, and I think there's a lot of um, cognitive dissonance with this case. Uh, I think that it's you know been pretty easy for a lot of the, uh, the the bigger national pundits to see things from the outside and and kind of run with it. You know, like Dick Vitale uh, issued a statement, you know, kind of condemning the entire program. There's been some others, uh, you know, but I do think you know just from what we here on the ground can see, the case is a lot more nuanced. You know that uh, Brandon Miller's attorneys uh, released a statement today. You know, uh, roughly an hour ago, that basically insisted upon his innocence that he didn't know of any intent. You know, to to use this gun that was owned by Darius Miles in the shooting. So uh, I think it's you know kind of where we're at right now. It's a definite wait and see. But I think that the narrative is kind of being crystallized now around Brandon Miller not being, you know, not having any kind of you know, intent or, or motive, your knowledge of, you know, that this gun was going to be used in a fatal shooting. You know, now granted that, you know, anything can change, and that is his lawyer's perspective, which a good lawyer is always going to defend their client. Uh, but but right now it does seem like that narrative kind of crystallizing around him. Ryan, I, I just want to, I guess, thank you for, for your coverage uh, on yesterday. It was obviously a, a hectic, ridiculous news day and and uh you know your article on uh, on the patch really cut through a lot of i think there was a lot of conjecture on twitter from from different people you know people giving really wild opinions on on a case maybe without knowing all the facts and we don't know all the facts 
at this point. But that being said, I, I think uh, your coverage is really remarkable. So I, I do just want to thank you for that. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. And it's been like, a, you know, to, to your point, it, it's almost like you know, Twitter is already an echo, echo chamber anyways, especially when it comes to, you know, like our localized college sports. But when you have a personality like Brandon Miller wrapped up in this, you know, obvious top three pick, you know, the team is hotter than it's been in two decades right now. That, you know, I was telling another friend, because, I mean, all of my deep background reporting on this, you know, we knew – that there were other players, at least tangentially, like on the scene uh, at this shooting, you know, right after it happened. Uh, you know, I remember going to Nate Oates' press conference, um, you know, the first one, uh, I think the, the day after Darius Miles and uh, Michael Davis were both arrested. And that was one of the first questions that was asked. It was like, you know, can you comment on, you know, any potential involvement from any other players? Like, we knew, but it's it's been one of those things that, at least I can only speak for me. I can't speak for other media. But, you know, what what you know, and you know, my dad was a homicide investigator. What you know and what you can prove are two different things, right? That's kind of what he always, like, taught me about, you know, doing investigative work. And with this, it's no different. Like, I can hear from five different, you know, sources who were out on the strip that night that he was there. But, you know, far be it for me to be that person who – you know, preemptively jumps the gun and starts making assumptions. Like, we're reporters. You know, it's the job of the investigators to collect the facts, and it's the job of the courts to prosecute the case. Uh, so, it's you know, but like you said, there's been so much conjecture out there that I think it's really kind of taken on just the, the different sub-narratives in this have taken on a life of their own. So it, it is. It's one of the more complicated stories that I've ever had, and I've been in this business over a decade. We're speaking with Ryan Phillips, who is the founder and field editor at, at Tuscaloosa Patch and has done some outstanding work in regards to this whole situation. Definitely within it's heated up within the last 24 hours. But at the end of the day, I think that what I'm most disappointed with is the fact that Nate Oates coming out of practice yesterday when he was approached or asked this question. He should have just simply deferred, regardless of what he knew and what he what questions were asked of him and his players, just deferred and 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 really took a, a note out of Nick Saban's handbook and said, look, we're dealing with everything internally. The judicial system will run its course and went on to the next question about South Carolina. And I understand that he wanted to protect his player, his All-American, which is understood because, again, I, Brandon Miller, like you said, with your father being a homicide detective, has not been proven guilty and had no knowledge of intent. So that, that part about making a stupid decision is what Nate Oates probably wanted to say in regards to what he meant as college kids or being college kids. But you have to know that that's a statement as the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You just have to make the statement to, I'm going to defer to law enforcement. Absolutely. You know, and I, I don't think that that sentiment was lost on uh you know, Alabama's AD Greg Byrne at all. I just saw uh, that he had talked to uh, Paul Feinbaum and basically, you know, in not so many words, you know, said that Coach Oates' statement was regrettable or something like that and that they had addressed it with him. And then I, I'm sure you all saw and a lot, of the, a lot of the other folks in the Alabama universe saw, you know, the – 
statement or clarification that was, was issued last night. And, you know, a lot of people have called it an apology. I never once saw in any of that where he apologized for anything. I don't feel like he, he felt the need to apologize because he, he only knew so much going into that press conference, right? I think it was held. It kind of overlapped. I think his press conferences are normally at noon, and it, it overlapped with the, the preliminary hearing. Now, granted, he did acknowledge that they knew of, like, the other involvement of the other players like, you know, Brandon, Jaden Bradley. Uh, but, you know, to what degree? You know, that I mean, just because they were in the periphery of, like, when this happened, it's like if that's all he knows, if all he knows is what his players are telling him, I can see how that could complicate things from a PR standpoint, you know, when you're having to get up there and answer questions that really you're, you're both limited in what you know and you're also limited in what you can say because it's an ongoing case. Um, you know, and I think that's probably something they're having to deal with. But, but just me sitting in the, the stands, I'm not a, a beat writer. I'm, a, I'm more of a politics, like, you know, crime and news reporter. But sitting in the stands for me, that it, it, it's almost like I'm just surprised that there wasn't like a, a huge a harem of attorneys, you know, to coach him up before he went out there. It's like, you know, okay, you can only say X, Y, and Z. You can only address A, B, and C. You, you, you know, that I, I guess that's where I was kind of at a loss. And then the fact that he had to come out with a clarification afterwards was, was just kind of odd because he didn't really apologize for anything. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's, it's just kind of moving bang, bang for everybody right now. And it's, you know, I, I hate to be like overly critical, you know, but that's our job in media is to, to hold folks accountable, uh, you know, to demand transparency in this type of situation. But I guess the, you know, the metaphorical jury's still out, you know, as to, you know, what really went down. Because, I mean, there was, you know, in the preliminary hearing yesterday, there's a big debate even over just who shot first. So we went from, you know, the, the Twitterverse going ahead and saying that these two young men are absolutely guilty of murdering this young lady, you know, and, and then it comes out, you know, just a few weeks later that we don't even know who shot first. Um, so I, I definitely want to reserve my judgment once, until we, you know, have all the facts known. But this is, you know, I was telling somebody, uh, a few weeks ago, another colleague in the business. Th th this is the sum of all fears, isn't it? Like, you know, that Brandon Miller's name being attached to this when Alabama's having one of its best seasons, you know, in, in over 20 years. You know, he's projected to be, you know, top three pick. You know, that just this coming out, regardless of how he was involved, you know, it, it's one of the situations where nobody wins, right? Like, we don't win in reporting on it. You know, I certainly don't feel good, like, reporting on it. Um, you know, so it, it does. It complicates the situation, and, you know, especially once you start getting these national pundits, folks like that weighing in when they really don't have much in the way of ground-level facts. You know, it just complicates it even more. We're speaking with Ryan Phillips, the founder and field editor of At Tuscaloosa Patch. And one of the things tonight is Alabama does tip off as the number two ranked team in the country at South Carolina, it'll be interesting to see how the broadcast handles this situation. What is brought up? Because you know that it was automatically a headline, but will it be a distraction? Because what cannot be taken away from any of this is that Jamia Harris, uh, a young mother at 23 years old is dead. And since Lee, you know, she was killed uh, for no reason other than you wanted 
to bring a gun, what they say, don't bring a knife to a gunfight, but you actually, you, you brought a gun to, to murder someone and someone was murdered because you couldn't control yourself, whether that be Darius Miles or Michael Davis. But what cannot be lost is the fact that a young lady did lose her life and the fact that many lives have been ruined and it's an ongoing saga. Like you said, the perfect storm continues to brew because now you've gone to what one headline said, depth and deception. Now, I, I think that it's so very tough on everyone involved, but I, I just really, really, my my thoughts and prayers go out to Jamia Harris's family. Absolutely. And, you know, I, the, the one thing that I, I do hope that Coach Oates gets credit for is he has been very out front and at least vocally in support of the family, you know, in all of these press conferences. He'll always mention Jamia Harris first. He won't mention Darius first, uh, even though he'll always say that, you know, that we're, we're praying for Darius, all this. But he does keep Jamia's name at the very front of all of this. Um, and I would hate for that to get lost in it because it, no, nobody – I think he said something like this. Nobody plans for this, you know. And I think that's what makes this – such a hard thing for everybody in our community to reckon with um, because, you know, I, I had, you know, a buddy who's not involved in the investigation works in law enforcement, you know, make the comment that like, you know, uh, we're talking about a fraction of inches is like all that, that could have separated this girl getting killed from this not even being reported to the police. Because we have shootings every day. Like, you can ask our police officers here. We have shootings every day where if somebody doesn't get hurt, it doesn't get reported. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're talking fractions of inches made the difference. And now you have two lives who are probably completely, they're actually three, you know, with, with Jamia, three lives that are over, you know, and then you're going to have this cloud regardless of, of what the outcome is in court because the narrative's already been set that this cloud is going to hang over this program and these players the rest of their lives. You know, as you look at Ray Lewis, like, I mean, he was acquitted of you know, being accused of murder, but that, that cloud still hangs over him to this day. Um, you know, and I'm sure it does not make his life easy. So you got to think the same thing with Brandon Miller, Jaden Bradley, like those guys. Um, but it's at the same time, I do want to reserve my judgment for when, you know, we really do feel like we know what most of the facts are. And once the jury has been able to to rule on that, because that's uh, like I was talking to the attorneys for, for Darius, that they feel pretty strongly about going to a, a jury trial on this. Um, and, and that's because of the evidence they laid out yesterday, that it was more of a self-defense, we're feeling threatened type scenarios. So, I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see and, and probably have to wait and see what a jury is going to decide. Well, I'll tell you this, Ryan. It is a tragic and horrific situation that should not have occurred at the end of the day because I talked about it earlier in our show here on the final drive. Old school mentality, you just go ahead and you duke it out with the gentleman if you had a problem in that situation. Or you just walk away and, you know, friends have to step up and use common sense at some point in time. And this situation has ruined lives, will continue to forever ruin lives because one is not coming back. And we look forward to seeing how this will continue. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. 
Corey Labonte, along with Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. Or you can hit us up in the app. We definitely will get back to you on that one as well. And from a local standpoint, wanted to give shout-outs to John Mitchell. John Mitchell is a graduate of Williamson High School, along with making history at the University of Alabama playing football and playing in the 1973 Senior Bowl and has coached for over 50 years. 29 of those 50 years were spent with the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, and he has decided to retire. So we want to give shouts out and props to John Mitchell, who's definitely a trailblazer and a difference maker here in Mobile, Alabama. We have South Alabama in action tonight at Texas State. South Alabama, Richie Riley and the Jaguars, 15 and 14, have really been on fire here as of lately and want to go ahead and increase their tournament standings as when you start looking at where they are right now, they are ranked in seventh place playing at Texas State tonight, who is 13 and 16. That game set to tip off at 7 o'clock p.m. on ESPN+. And you have some South Alabama women's basketball that is being held tonight as well at the Mitchell Center. Terry Fowler and his Lady Jaguars, they haven't had the season that they really had hoped for, but they have a game tonight against Georgia Southern, who is 18-7, along playing Troy on Friday. Their huge rival in Troy at 7 o'clock p.m. on Friday. So the Lady Jaguars tipping off tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Mitchell Center, and then on Friday at Troy. The men, again, they're at Texas State tonight, and that's going to be a big-time game for Richie Riley and the Jaguars as they continue to try to get themselves in better postseason play position. We had high school basketball that went on today. 6A boys basketball. McGill Tulin defeat Blunt 65 to 46. McGill girls defeat Theodore in overtime 38 to 34. UMS Wright girls, Terry Canova, they win 48 to 46 over Jackson. Foley, the Lady Lions, they defeat Daphne 68 to 46. And Central of Phoenix City defeats Fairhope 53 to 46. And we have a caller on the line. Good afternoon, caller. Thanks for calling into the final drive. Hey, yeah, um, I'd like to weigh in, man, see what y'all think. I, I know y'all been talking about uh, the, the basketball. I didn't hear everything you had to say, but Brandon Miller, they apparently they've been knowing this for five weeks. I mean, Brandon Miller's been playing for five weeks knowing that. I mean, I, I don't think it's affected him. I'm, and I'm not worried about it affecting him in respect that somebody's life got lost somebody's lost their life. I'm just saying if he didn't do anything, he's, you know, he's not acting like he had anything to do with it. So I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I think it comes down to his knowledge and intent. And his attorney just, you know, released a statement here within the last hour saying his client and Brandon Miller had no knowledge and intent that, Darius Miles or Michael Davis were going to pull the trigger and murder 
uh, Jamia Harris. And with that being said, I think that that answers your question there. But it, it, it is still a frustrating situation just because of the way that Nate Oates handled the situation. Thank you for calling in and asking that question about Brandon Miller and how the Alabama Crimson Tide are going to move forward. Coming up next at the top of the hour, Sports Illustrated Ross Dellinger joins us because, you know, there have been some rule proposals, proposals that is now, that have been made to college football that a lot of people are not happy with. It's not just one proposal, it's several. So we'll hold Ross Dellinger and get all the information that he knows about the proposed rule changes coming up in the next hour here on the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number three of the final drive here on WNSP. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner, who does an outstanding job of producing the final drive here on WNSP. And I tell you who does an outstanding job, folks, is Ross Dellinger. If you've ever read his coverage on SI Now or Sports Illustrated, you will be thoroughly impressed about all of his college football knowledge. And, you know, there's always a lot of things going on in college football, even though we're preparing for a lot of our spring football games. You have the SEC meetings that go down in Destin, and, of course, you get ready for what goes on in July with our SEC media days. But a big topic that's going on in college football right now has been about some rule changes that have been proposed to the clock in regards to how long it takes to watch a football game and a great article that Ross Dellinger wrote. Ross, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us on the final drive. Yeah, good to be on. Ross, talk to us about there's a few high points about what the commissioners are looking at to twitch in college football in regards to the length of it? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, they've spent the last several years uh, trying to figure out how to shorten college football games. They continue to get longer, and, um, you know, they, they, they're inconsistent. They're games that last four hours or more, and too many games for their liking that last over three and a half hours, about a one in every four uh, college football games last over three and a half hours if you did the numbers of the last few years. So they've been trying to figure out how to shorten games. And I think they're, you know, most of these proposals, except really one, um, align with the NFL. In the NFL game time, 
is anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes on average shorter, and they're much more consistent. The NFL games rarely ever go uh, longer than three and a half hours and usually finish at as little as under three hours. And so I think, uh, you know, I, and I can go through the four proposals really quickly. The, the, there are two that are kind of considered non-controversial, and they should probably pass through, and that's no more consecutive timeouts to ice kickers and things like that. So you can't call two timeouts in a row. Um, under that proposal. And the second thing is no untimed downs at the end of a first or third quarter after a defensive penalty. So the down would just be played the next quarter and would be timed. Uh, those two things, not very impactful, might save a very small handful of plays every weekend. But the next two get a little more significant. Um, the third proposal would, would um, keep the clock, clock running after a first down. Uh, which aligns with the NFL rule um, and would save anywhere from or reduce in the game anywhere from seven to nine plays. Probably a game would be reduced if you ran the clock um, after first down. The fourth proposal is probably the most controversial and something that is hard to see passing. Uh, you never know, but uh, it would continue to run the clock after incompletion once the ball is spotted, uh, and that one is certainly one that has had uh, some debate in some division around it. NFL games, in your article, you mentioned that the average is about 155 plays and the average in college football is around 180. I I'm all for speeding up the game, and it's kind of like what I wish that they would do in the NBA, you play quarters, and in college basketball, you play halves. You go internationally, you go ahead and you play quarters. So really, the the uniform and getting ready to implement a rule that you're going to see at the next level or that you've seen since high school, I think is very imperative. And I, I would like for these rules to be, even though for proposals, for all of them to pass. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, the first down, uh, you know, continuing to run the clock after a first down, what the NFL does do, I, there's pretty wide support for that. Um, and so I think certainly three of the four will pass. It's the fourth one where you continue to run the clock after an incompletion that, um, that uh, you know, would that the NFL does not do that. And, and so that would be a, pretty significant change, and I think a lot of coaches have pushed back on uh, that potential rule change. I, I, I think that that would change schematically um, somewhat of what happens um, during a game on how an offense is run and how a, a coach might run an offense. Uh, and, and then there's another part of this, you know, part of the reason they're shortening games is health and safety, you know, fewer exposures, head exposures uh, to players. Um, and if you if you continue to run the clock after an incompletion, I think coaches would probably respond by uh, going from an already hurried up offense to a, as somebody mentioned, to be turbo, turbo offense. You know, you could even go even faster to negate the reduction of plays and to get back to the line of scrimmage before that clock starts. So you would then be actually negating the whole purpose uh, of, of the rule, which would be to shorten the game and reduce plays and reduce head injuries uh, if they do speed the game up. So 
I think you'll probably see certainly the first two pass through the NCAA kind of governance structure. And uh, I think there's some pretty good support for the first downs. Uh, the, the incomplete pass one um, is, is the one that's going to probably get the most uh, argument uh, in the meeting next week. Uh, the NFL players uh, playing rules committee will meet next week. And while it is often up to commissioners and this, this, these proposals came kind of uh, from a meeting of commissioners, the, the rules committee will uh, will vote to kind of decide which of the four um, will uh, will advance kind of to the next portion of the the NCAA governance system. The NCAA governance system you mentioned on rules enforcement. If these proposals are passed, would we see them implemented in this upcoming 23-24 college football season, or would they go ahead and take a year to go ahead and get the training in to go ahead and implement them, even from a television revenue standpoint? The plan is to implement them this this coming season. Uh, And... You know, that, that could always change. Uh, I think what will probably happen next week, to give you kind of the, the, the timeline, the steps here, is the playing rules committee would would um, vote to pass through, you know, one of the four, two of the four, three of the four, all four, maybe, onto the next round, which is usually a socialization throughout um, college schools and conferences about the proposals. There'll be more information disseminated. And then later on, maybe in April, there would be a vote potentially of in the D1 Council, the D1 Board of Directors. And the thought is, you know, that they would be voted on to be implemented this coming season. But that is always uh, subject to change. We're speaking with Ross Dellinger. He's a writer for Sports Illustrated and SI Now and does a phenomenal job in his coverage of college football. One of the biggest stories in the offseason has really been Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC in 2024 instead of 2025. And with them entering in 24 instead of 25, how that's going to make the divisions a lot different or how it immediately changes schedules and who's going to be your common opponent and who is not going to become your common opponent. Yeah, there's a lot of change coming to uh, the SEC scheduling format. Uh, I think it's been pretty decided that you would not have divisions any longer. So it'll be one big grouping of teams and the top two will will play um, in the SEC championship game. Uh, and you'll have either probably one of two uh, formats. You'll have an eight-game format that will have each team play one permanent opponent in seven rotational opponents. and Or you'll have a nine-game conference format uh, that will have each team play three permanent opponents every year, uh, and and then play six rotational. And in each of these formats, uh, it kind of crosses off a goal of, I think, most SEC teams, and that is to play each other more often than they do now. And and so they would play – you'd basically on either either format, you would play – every SEC team would play another um, every other year and would play them – play each other – twice in, in four years, home and away. So you'd get, you know, uh, 
um, you get every every team at your place once every four years, and you play there once every four years. So I don't think they've decided on which of those formats to go to, the eight or the nine game. I, I think it um, still feels something that's being kind of debated. I think the big question is uh, ESPN revenue, TV revenue. Will, will ESPN give the SEC more revenue for the extra ninth game inventory? Um, and if that happens, if it's enough, I think the SEC will go to a nine-game schedule. If, if ESPN doesn't give enough or any, you might you might see them stay at eight. I think that when you start talking about the new realignments of the Southeastern Conference moving forward, it's great not only for the Southeastern Conference but for college football fans. And, of course, it will change the format, and you may lose a rivalry game here or there. But while I have you these last couple of minutes, I know you could probably spend an hour talking about the NCAA and name, image, and likeness and the way that that has really transformed and changed not only collegiate athletics this year, but looking to change high school athletics as well, where certain states are jockeying for parents saying you can come here and get paid. Do you think it's a situation with name, image, and likeness to where once you've gotten the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't put it back in? Or is there going to be some type of governance of how this continues to be distributed to these student athletes? The NCAA is a little handcuffed, you know, when it comes to uh, governing NIL uh, because of the courts and the court rulings. Um, they are they they are a little uh, a little handcuffed, and so any kind of real governance when it comes to um, because of no NCAA rule, the NCAA or its rules will will not um, supersede state law. You know, and every state pretty much has an NIL law of some sort, as you mentioned, and some places have the high school uh, NIL law. So NCAA rules can't really supersede those. So the answer is going to probably have to come from Congress. Um, and that's a place that moves fairly slow and has not, and certainly has bigger fires to put out. Um, so the expectation that Congress is going to suddenly swoop in and, and save the NCAA and, and college sports from NIL is is uh, probably a little short-sighted. I, I wouldn't expect that soon, although there is a bill actually being drafted by the senator from Alabama, a former Auburn coach, Tommy Tuberville. He's, he is in the process of drafting an NIL college athlete bill. Not sure exactly what it'll include. Um, and, and I'm not sure if it'll be, you know, bipartisan enough to pass. But probably the only place um, right now that uh, something could could come from uh, to really govern NIL, the the NCAA. I will say the NCAA has been investigating uh, rule breaking when it comes to NIL, and they probably will eventually, maybe even somewhat soon, uh, drop the hammer, so to speak. But no penalty, really, I don't think is going to stop uh, NIL uh, right now. It's, um, yeah, as you've mentioned, the, the, the 
toothpaste is out of the tube and stuff to put it back. Absolutely. Ross Dellinger giving us his opinion about college football and NIL and an outstanding writer for Sports Illustrated and SI Now. Moving here into the spring, really across the country of college football, what storylines do you think are most intriguing coming into the spring football games? Welcome back to the final drive. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your phone calls here at 251-694-1055. When we've had a, a great final drive for you so far today. And again, we've had local high school basketball that has gone on and want to keep you updated on how our local teams did today. In 6A boys, the McGill Tulin boys, they defeated Blunt 65 to 46. And in 6A girls action, the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets defeated Theodore in overtime 38 to 34. Carla Berry makes her eighth appearance in nine years to the Final Four. Terry Canova and the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs get back to Birmingham. They're 48 to 46 winners over the Jackson Lady Aggies. And in 7A girls basketball, Foley, the Lady Lions defeat Daphne 68 to 46. In 7A boys, not so lucky for the Fairhope Pirates. They lost to Central of Phoenix City today, 53-46. to And that is an outstanding season for Solomon Johnson and the Fairhope Pirates. And if you missed it yesterday in action, the Baker Hornets and Cottage Hill Christian Academy both lost as they were participating in in Birmingham, Alabama as well. But St. Luke's, they are coming away kind of as the quiet team here in Mobile. All year long, haven't really made a lot of noise, but they found a way Coach Trawick and his staff have punched their ticket to the state championship semifinals in Birmingham next week and mentioned that we would still have South Alabama on the road at Texas State in men's basketball. The Jaguars have been on fire here lately, and Richie Riley is trying to elevate that program from their seventh place where they currently sit to try to get in maybe that fourth or fifth seeded slot as they have two games remaining that one that they're going to be at Texas State and they also have Louisiana who is ahead of them in the standings as well the Lady Jaguars they'll be taking on Georgia Southern tonight at the Mitchell Center and then we'll take on in-state rival Troy at seven o'clock p.m. On Friday, and Mike, I know we've been talking a lot today about Brandon Miller and the legal ramifications of what's going on uh, and what was brought to our knowledge on yesterday or within the last 24 hours. The athletic director, Greg Byrne, did say that Brandon Miller will play tonight as the number two ranked Alabama Crimson Tide are on the road against South Carolina, and I think that's the right decision for Brandon Miller to be able to play again if he was found guilty of something or they had charges that needed to be filed against them, they would have been done five weeks ago back when all of this took place. Yeah, uh, so obviously it's a little bit odd 
that he's going to just be playing tonight with all this having kind of just come out yesterday. But again, like we've talked about earlier, it's not like this was new information to the team yesterday and that Nate Oates and Greg Byrne are making a decision. Uh, you know, they made this decision five weeks ago. And to not play him now uh, would be contrary to the thought process that they've had for the past five weeks. Just because the public reaction has been what it is, uh, you can't just go back on uh, on what you've done. I, I, if you know, if there was new evidence or something else came to light, or it came out that Brandon wasn't truthful with Coach Oates or who or investigators or whoever, if, if it was a situation like that, then of course you could justify uh, not playing him or sitting him down until you figure out exactly what is happening. But again, like we tried to emphasize from the start of the show, th- they've known exactly this information for five weeks now, so you can't just go from playing him the past five weeks to, oh, it, it's out now. Now we're not going to play. I mean, that, you just can't. You, you've you made a decision, and, and that's what you're going with. I mean, could you make the argument that he should have been suspended a couple of games five weeks ago? Sure, you could make that argument. I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with it, but, I mean, it's over and done with now in terms of, uh, again, unless there was something new that came out, based on what we know of the situation, I'd uh, he hasn't been suspended, and they're going to keep playing him, and they're going to keep playing basketball. The only new situation is is Nate Oates making a second comment or having a comment after his press conference yesterday afternoon. That's the only new news out of this whole situation and the fact that Greg Byrne has actually commented on it today and this afternoon. That's a, a new situation, and like he said, he is – coached and talked to Coach Oates about how he should have handled the situation. Now that he said what he he said, I think a lot of the national pundits continued are going to continue to use Nate Oates' lack of empathy yesterday when he just could have just said, I'm going to leave it to law enforcement. I think it's a great teaching tool when you don't know, don't speak on it. Yeah. If you're not sure – Just don't speak about it, and if you are going to speak about it, defer to better counsel, and I think that that's a huge learning lesson for a lot of head coaches across the country in regards to some speak freely, others do not, but in a murder situation to where a young lady has lost her life, there's only been a couple of other college programs, and Baylor jumps right in to the forefront of my mind to where a murder has occurred. There's usually infractions, whether it's some type of drugs or some type of domestic dispute or some type of other weapons charge, as there was for one of LSU's wide receivers this weekend. But when murder occurs, it changes the whole dynamics of everything, and that's exactly where we've been. Now, coming up next here, we'll have Brandon Silver, who is currently an XFL quarterback for the 1-0 Houston Roughnecks. And we'll talk to Brandon about making his XFL debut with the Houston franchise when we come back here on the final drive. Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, 
joining you this afternoon. And as I was watching television this weekend, I was excited because I knew that we were going to have more football outside of the Super Bowl. I didn't have to wait long to see what the XFL was all about and didn't have to look any further than a couple of local products. Of course, A.J. McCarron playing football for the Battle Hawks of St. Louis. And then when I looked at the Houston Roughnecks, the Roughnecks are 1-0. They won 33-12 this weekend over Orlando. And the starting quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks is Brandon Silvers. And he joins us on the final drive. Good afternoon or good evening. And thanks for joining us, Brandon. Yes, sir. How are y'all? Absolutely too blessed to be stressed, sir, and excited to have you on the line, just like I know you were excited to get back under center or in that shotgun formation for Houston and start your XFL career for a second time. Yep, been a long journey these last couple of years, but I'm glad to be back, uh, obviously in a new city, but, you know, I spent some time out in Houston, and uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Brandon, this past week, he threw for 272 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And, Brandon, let's talk about the debut of the XFL and the excitement that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has brought as the owner of the XFL. And it's a situation to where I know that the rules are a lot different and none more evident as A.J. McCarron was trailing 15-3 to with less than two and a half minutes to go in the game and they pretty much hit every XFL rule that you can to win a game when trailing tell us about the new rules and how that is hard for you or easy for you as a quarterback to adjust uh yeah some of the rules are obviously different from the NFL um we had them in the last XFL but you know the kickoff's different you know, there's no onside kicks you go you go forward on fourth and 15 um and then, you know, just a bunch of two-point to three-point, all that. It's, just, it's pretty wild, but it makes it exciting, just like that game was this weekend. I think another thing that's very exciting as well is all access that you get not only to the head coaches but to the coordinators and yourself to where you can hear you checking at the line, you can hear the coaches and you guys' conversations. How is that different, or does that create a lot of distractions as you're focusing on getting ready to come to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, uh, not too many distractions. Uh, just kind of what I'm seeing on the field, and he'll relay it, obviously, in my headset. And he can also talk to the receivers as well, um, what they want to do and stuff like that. So uh, it's definitely different from the NFL, which is just a quarterback has a helmet. Um, but the OC can talk to everyone on the field at the time. The linemen don't have it, but all the skill, skill uh, positions do. Well, how, how interesting is it to know that, you know, you're getting ready here to prepare this weekend and you guys are going to play another Texas team. The Arlington Renegades are going to be coming to your house on ESPN2. So for those who want to tune in Sunday at 6 p.m., you can tune in on ESPN2 and check out the Arlington Renegades taking on the Houston Roughnecks. And the starting quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks is our guest on the final drive, Brandon. And silvers yeah it's been weird this week because we actually share the choctaw stadium where arlington plays at so we share you know our locker rooms 
it's the old Ranger Stadium, so our locker rooms are not the same as theirs, but we're in the same, you know, stadium and building getting ready to play each other. Um, so we've seen them at lunch today. they actually been practicing at TCU this week, but uh, we've seen them a little bit, and it was just a little awkward at lunch today. You can't really talk about football when the team you're going up against is uh, walking around. So it was just a little awkward awkwardness this morning, this afternoon. Brandon Silver is our guest here on the final drive. He's the starting quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks in the newly formed XFL, and it got started off with a bang this week. And I know at your time at Troy, as you were the starting quarterback at Troy, you had an opportunity to pass for over 10,677 yards, had 71 touchdowns, and your completion percentage was outstanding. But when you see the success that Troy football has had this year, how does that make you feel seeing Troy get back on the map? Yeah, it makes me feel great. Uh, and uh, Coach Shamal, me and him are really close. I'm just glad, you know, they gave him the job. I wish they would have gave it to him a couple years ago, but, you know, nonetheless, he's there now. Uh, Troy football is in great hands with him, you know, as a head coach. So, you know, it was great. It was great to see. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be a 13 and, you know, 13 and two season. Um, maybe they went 13 and one. I don't, I don't know. They won a lot. I know that. So yeah, they were some of the conference just, champions for sure. Yeah, yeah, they they were champions, and uh, I didn't think that would happen first year. So I mean, that that was awesome that they, they got to do all that, um, and they beat a great South team. I think South won ten games as well. So you know, just a great year for you know. Trojans, and uh, I think we still have the belt, so that's all good with me. <laughs> that belt means a lot in these parts. The battle for the belt, Brandon Silvers is talking about. And as you were coming out of Gulf Shores High School, talk about your time taking the helm as the starting quarterback as a junior in your junior year for the Gulf Shores Dolphins and who your head coach was and the type of relationship that you guys continue to have as well. Yeah, I had uh, Coach Mark Freeman as my head coach uh, my junior year, who is now at, the, at Thompson High School. Um, we still have a great relationship. I actually talked with him this morning. Um, I actually went and helped out, um, not this past fall, but the fall before, helping out with the quarterbacks there and that win a state championship. So, you know, I still have a great relationship with Coach Freeman, and, um, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Well, I tell you, the future holds you guys playing this Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. on ESPN2 against the Arlington Renegades. And the Renegades, they won last week as well. They're 1-0, and you mentioned sharing the same type of facilities. But the, the biggest difference is the kickoffs and the access that you guys have, being able to go for one, two, or three instead of kicking the extra points. You can still kick field goals, and that's how a lot of points were scored in the debut in a lot of teams for the XFL. But overall, your head coach is one Wade Phillips, and that's a very familiar name in a lot of NFL circles. What's it like playing for Wade Phillips? Yeah, Wade, Wade Coach Wade's a, a legend in the game, you know, been a part of a couple of Super Bowls, been a part of a couple great, uh, not a couple, a lot of great defenses. Um, you know, just having him as the head coach, man, it's just like you're just hanging around a legend uh, every day. And, uh, you know, a good thing about our offense, our offense is really good, but also our defense is really, really good. I think they have, you know, count to be the best 
in the league. So, you know, we'll see, um, you know, what happens this weekend. I'm buddies with a couple of the uh, all the Arlington quarterbacks, so I just tell them to get ready. We're speaking with Brandon Silvers. He is a former Gulf Shores high school quarterback here along the Gulf Coast, went on to set multiple records at Troy for the Trojans and is now having an opportunity to continue his career here in the newly formed XFL. And, Brandon, as this season continues to progress, staying healthy I know is essential for you, but ultimately I know a lot of these guys have been told by The Rock, hey, this is your 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 next stepping stone to the NFL if you get your shine on here in this XFL and your name is circulated you'll probably get an opportunity to make that 52-man roster that's in the NFL what would it mean to you to continue to play great team ball and I know that the XFL championship will be held in San Antonio so it will still be in Texas but trying to make that NFL roster or a lot of guys that are still in the XFL yeah, for me, it's just getting back and playing football. Um, you know, I enjoyed it, my time in the XFL the last time. And, you know, I had some other opportunities, but I just really wanted to get back in the XFL and play with uh, my offensive coordinator that I played for before. So, you know, you know, you take care of business here, and you never know what happens after that. But right now I'm just focused on taking care of business, winning, and putting up some great offensive numbers. Well, I tell you, we look forward to seeing the offensive production at the Houston Roughnecks. And what a what a great name, the Houston Roughnecks. I mean, the, the branding of the XFL has been superb, and I would expect nothing less from Dwayne The Rock Johnson and all the wonderful people that are working for him putting this together. But we definitely will be tuned in 2 o'clock, excuse me, 6 o'clock p.m. on ESPN2 this coming Sunday. Your Houston Roughnecks that are one and oh take on the one and oh Arlington Renegades and we'll try to stay in touch with you throughout the season to see how things are going and how you're feeling with this career in the XFL yes for sure yeah I appreciate y'all and anytime I'm always open to talk ball that's fine with me Brandon Silver's XFL Houston Roughnecks starting quarterback. Again, you can catch him this Sunday at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Look forward to continuing to follow him. Brandon, thank you so much for your time on the final drive, and we'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, we'll put the wraps on today's final drive as it's been a very busy edition this afternoon and this evening. We want to thank you for Stick and staying on 105.5 this afternoon on the final drive. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, who has done a wonderful job producing the show today. And you can reach us at 251-694-1055. And again, it's been a day to where 
The Alabama Crimson Tide have been in the news the last 24 hours, and that's because of Brandon Miller, and he's not going to be legally charged with bringing a gun to the scene with no knowledge and intent of Darius Miles and Michael Davis getting ready to commit a murder. And again, the whole tragic situation has been unfolding since five weeks ago on January 15th when Jamia Harris was shot dead in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And because of that, Nate Oates yesterday, it came back into the news because what people felt were insensitive comments by head coach Nate Oates and comments that I guarantee that he wish he would not have made and Wish he, if he did make comments on yesterday, wish he would have deferred to counsel or deferred to his athletic director or deferred to anyone other than making the statement that he made, Bronner. Yeah. Um, I mean, yesterday was such a weird day. Uh, we, the information came out through court information, or you know, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't. But again, we we. This information regarding Brandon Miller possibly being implicated in this case was out there. Uh, it wasn't maybe national news, but if you dug hard enough, it, it was there. People knew about it, uh, that you know he was potentially there, and other players, we knew they were together that night. So, But yeah, I mean, so it, it just speaks to the fact that Nate Oates had five weeks to prepare for how he was going to answer that question. And the fact that that's how he answered that question was was disappointing to say the least. And then, like uh, I think it was Chris Gordy said it earlier, when you got to put out a second statement to your initial statement, it's it's never good. So it, it was just disappointing uh, for the the people who are calling for Nate Oates to be fired. Relax, I I think that's ridiculous. Uh, let's not. I think that's that would be a overkill, uh, literally, uh, in that situation because you know Nate Oates he he made inappropriate comments, and again you can't hide from the fact, and he has to his credit acknowledged the fact that Jamia Harris was tragically murdered. He, he every press conference I've seen he's acknowledged Jamia Harris and the tremendous loss for her son and her family. And that there have been life-altering mistakes uh, that have been made by all parties involved. Yeah. Uh, like we said earlier, there's no chapter in the coaching handbook on, on how to deal with this. And I think Nate has, for the most part, done a pretty good job. I think he's had two giant missteps uh, in dealing with the media in this. Obviously, uh, the wrong place, wrong time comment being one of them. The other one... Uh, being the Ray Lewis comments, some people thought that was odd as well, which is hard to disagree with. Uh, but again, this is not something that a coach is dealing with every day. So to speak about, he, he's done a pretty good job. But yes, you're you're correct. He's had two giant missteps here uh, in dealing with the media, and and it's unfortunate that that's been the case. Well, what's been taken away as well is the fact that. When the murder occurred, Alabama was 
able to find a way to regroup itself and you felt that they had moved forward and put Darius Miles and Michael Davis in their rearview mirror in regards to disassociating themselves with the situation because, again, Darius Miles is loved by his teammates and is loved by that coaching staff. And you, with that being said, they had Alabama had still gone on to become the number one ranked team in the country with a tremendous adversity smacking them right in the face. And here tonight being ranked number two in the country on the road, I feel that sometimes being on the road, that can be the best situation, even though after they leave the night, they're flying right back into Tuscaloosa. It still gives you an opportunity to get away from the distractions, at least to get back to doing what you love to do, which is playing basketball. And, Again, we'll see what happens tonight. It's going to be an interesting broadcast, an interesting game. There's a lot of angles to keep your eye on tonight, so looking forward to it. Tonight, Alabama takes on South Carolina, and you can hear that game right here on WNSP, so make sure you tune in to hear Chris Stewart do a wonderful job. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. Travis Brown, Chris Gordy, Ryan Phillips, Ross Dellinger, Brandon Silvers, thank you for being guests today on the final drive here on WNSP with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner.